and welcome to The Right Stuff. I'm the Queen Parker J. Thank you so much for joining me. We're going to have a phenomenal time as I chat with my guest co-host and contributor today, Heidi Gray-McGill. She is the author of the just-released hot-off-the-press book, Dial E for Endearment. Let me tell you, if you love stories that are going to warm you up like a warm blanket, it's going to make you feel fuzzy and warm and gooey inside, this is the story for you. It is available today on Amazon.com. I've been reading this book, and it is phenomenal. You know how I love romance, and this ticks all the boxes. Make sure you go ahead and pick up your copy of Dial E for Endearment today online. Heidi, how are you doing today? Parker, thank you so much for including me and for the very warm welcome. I appreciate that. I am doing wonderfully. Thank you for taking time out of your schedule to be with me today. As you already know, I have been enjoying this book, Dial E for Endurement. I can't wait for our listeners to know more about it, particularly since today is the month of love. We're going to be celebrating Valentine's Day on the 14th, and as a romance novelist, you know I love love, I love romance, things of that nature, so this is my month. (laughs) So I'm excited (laughs) to have you kick off our month of love with your book, Dial E for Endearment. But you know what? We've been connecting on Facebook, but now we get a chance to really dig into each other's personalities and talk to each other. So I'm so glad that you're here with me so we can peel back the veil of who you are and let our listeners know that as well. So let's start with the first easiest thing. Tell us a little bit about yourself. First of all, honestly, Parker, I really do appreciate you and what you are doing for authors and just the encouragement that you give to people is so tremendous. Thank you for that support. So I am not only an author, but I am a mom, uh, a wife of 30 years, and I have two children. I have two grandchildren. I love to scrapbook. I love to walk. I love to cook. I do not bake. I cannot make a brownie from a box. Um, But I do love inventing new things. And I love to eat anything that is ethnic. It doesn't matter what country it's come from. I want to give it a try. But more than that, Parker, I am a Christ follower. And that is really the basis of who I am and why I write and what I That is important to say that you're a Christ follower. And you put that in your book as well, because as you said, and you know, no spoiler alert here, but it's easy to call yourself Christian if you go to church on Easter and Christmas. But when yeah. you say, I follow Christ, that means you submit your life to him. And even those of us who are Christ followers tend to have problems with submitting because we fight against the natural will. But the more he is in us and the more we obey his will, our will becomes his will. Scrapbooking is interesting because it's been around for hundreds of years. Capturing those memories, what are you doing with scrapbooks? Are you doing it purposely to give to your grandchildren? Are you doing it just for yourself? I mean, what's, what's going on? Well, Parker, the other part about me that I didn't mention is I am legally blind. I started scrapbooking because I wanted to put those memories in my mind, and I'm a visual learner. And so I knew that if I put those pictures on paper, wrote something, about those things, I would remember them more clearly, and those pictures would be cemented in my mind. So whether anyone else ever looks at my scrapbooks, the whole purpose was for me. I always like to ask this next question because I think our listeners need to know that everyone's journey to writing is different, and it happens in different ways. The point is that they accepted the calling that God gave them and began to write. So go ahead and tell us what your journey to writing looks like. 
I would love to do that. So I have been a beta reader for other authors for many years, 15 perhaps. I love that portion of being able to help an author see something that they just missed because you're so in the story. It, you see it. You just don't realize that you haven't expressed it for other people to see it. And so um, one day I was reading a story as a beta reader, and I said, oh, for Pete's sake, I could do better than this. <laughs> Cocky me. Oh, my goodness. So I said I should put my money where my mouth is. And I wrote a book, and it was terrible. <laughs> I gave it to someone else to read, and, they, and their words <laughs> were, I love you, Heidi, but this is really bad. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> yes. So I, um, I put it away. I said I don't have time to fix this. I don't have time to make it what it is. I made an attempt. That's all there is to it. At the time, I was the director and founder of an English as a Second Language program. And it really was my platform to share Christ. I was able to invest in the lives of these ladies to just really help them see who Christ was. Um, and it was, it was just truly my platform. And my, my ministry closed when COVID hit. Uh, we could oh, no. not house them correctly. Um, we could not, well, you can't wear masks and easily watch someone's mouth to figure out how to pronounce a word. Um, and so are my ministry closed? And I thought, I have no more excuses. I have the time to do this. So I pulled that book off. That was in March. And I sat down with God. And I said, you know, I did this originally because um, I thought I could do it. And obviously, I can't. But I need a platform. I need some way to share Christ with others. And I believe, Lord, that you have put this in my heart and that you have put this ability in my in in who I am to be able to do this. And he reminded me, I told him that, I said, you know, but it has to be good enough because if I'm going to sign my name to it, it has to be good enough. So cocky. Oh my goodness. That, <laughs> God just turned that around and said to me, seriously, Heidi, it's not your name that's going to be on it. It's mine. Mm. Do it to the best of your ability because it's my name that's on that book. And that changed my focus. And now I started writing a book because I wanted to, God, that book just flew. My fingertips flew um, over that keyboard. And I was able to get that book. Um, I started in March with just the bare bones that I had. And I published in November. Uh, and it just took off very quickly. It's, a, um, it's really my story in a way. It's called uh, Desire of My Heart. And it's my Discerning God's Best series. And that series of uh, what Rachel goes through, she goes through some very serious um, turmoil and tragedies. And that's what I went through with the loss of my vision. So let me share a little bit about that itself so that it kind of ties in. In 2001, um, I had just had my two girls and I kept falling and I could not figure out what was going on. And my girlfriend said to me, Heidi, what if you have something like a muscular disorder? You know, you need to go to the doctor. And it ended up that I found an eye doctor who diagnosed me with an eye disease called retinitis pigmentosa. RP is uh, not very common. It is, uh, it's, I'll say it's a cousin to macular degeneration. Uh, so lots of people have that. So you, it's a little more understanding. But what I've done is I've lost my peripheral vision. So I started with 100%. So when you and I are looking at each other, um, 
and I'm looking directly at your eyes. You can probably see when I make gestures with my hands, I cannot. In fact, when I'm looking at your eyes, I can't see your mouth at the same time. Have that, that vision, uh, the exterior vision that helps me to be able to do that. And so in 2001, I was already down to 20%. And because it, I lost it so quickly, we assumed that I probably would lose the rest of my sight very quickly as well. That's when I really started scrapbooking. But it's also when I started really being frustrated with God. Um, I let God know it. This is not fair. I don't understand. How can you use this for your good? I want to be able to see my children grow up. I want to be able to see them get married. I, I need to be able to do so many things. It's so important to me. And again, God reminded me. And Parker, for those who don't understand that statement of God reminded me, when you are close enough to God that you can sense his presence, it is almost you can hear his voice. And so in my spirit, I sensed God saying to me, Heidi, you do not need to see to be able to witness the things that you want to understand. And for example, I don't need to know what my son-in-law looks like. I can tell him by his heart. I don't need to know what my grandchildren are building. They can explain it to me and have fun doing it. How much more wonderful is that than to have a child to be able to give your, you give them their full attention so that they can explain something to you? So to date, I am down to 5% of my peripheral vision, which means now when I am writing, I write in short snippets. I do use traditional software, um, Microsoft Word to write. Uh, I, I upload just like everybody else to a program and stick it on Amazon because I'm an independent author. But I do have a three-quarter inch mouse with a very long tail that I struggle to find sometimes because I do not see my entire screen at one time. What a wonderful but soul-stirring story you just told me about that because it makes this book that you've written even more necessary to let our listeners know more about it, particularly since you're coming from a place of experience. So it's not just like me, research. You know, you actually know I'm living research <laughs> or that term when they say living fossil. You know, nowadays I yeah, guess yeah, a lot yeah. of us are living fossils now. You know, we had typewriters. <laughs> there are cake machines from exactly. Assyria or something, you know, but I'm so glad that uh, you wrote this book. I can't wait to delve into that. Dealing with finding out that your eyesight was dissipating over time and mm -hmm. wanting to grasp hold to that, what were some of the lessons that you learned besides some of the things you said about, you know, knowing how to enjoy yourself? What were some of the other lessons that you learned during this process? I believe the lesson I've learned is that fully relying on God in any situation is what's important. An example of that would be um, just because I cannot easily navigate in an airport, let's say. I do use a white cane when I'm out and about. Um, it doesn't make me any different than the woman I might be sitting next to on an airplane who is dealing with the loss of a child. We both have a disability, mine is just visible. 
the man who has um, a, a marriage and he just, he wants to make it work and his wife doesn't. We both have a disability. Our lives, it's not, Everly is that she wants to be more than the woman behind the microphone and she wants to be more than the woman behind the white cane. That cane, it appears that it defines who she is. It's who people, if people see that first rather than seeing her. And so each of us have something that it feels like a white cane to us. And so learning that we are valuable to God no matter what matters. So let me give you an example from the book, Max, the dog. So I infer of a specific breed that Max is. I never say what it is, but in our minds, we probably come up with this dog that we see in our minds of what he is. Everly falls in love with this dog immediately where other people might be afraid. In fact, can even is worried that she's going to be afraid when this dog approaches her, but she's not because Everly sees the heart. She sees what's inside of Max. She doesn't see his breed, what he humanity has made him out to be. And that is what she is asking for in return. She simply wants to be known for her heart and not that white cane that she carries. In our book, Everly, Who is Blind?, one thing is that her world is very vibrant. And I think this is important because when people hear about a person being blind, they may feel as if they're not experiencing the world, which that is hardly the case. They just view it differently. And it's viewed, and in one, in one part of the story, particularly in the beginning, you have this very tactile texture to the story. It's just not as we would expect visually. That doesn't mean that she doesn't want her sight, but she's learned to make do with what she has. And I think that's an important lesson, too. Sometimes I think people spend a lot of time on what is wrong that we refuse to focus on what we already have. And we are all blessed in some manner, no matter how dismal things get. And so we've already tantalized our listeners with this book. So let's go ahead and delve into Dial E for Endurement. Go ahead and tell us what this book is about. This is a story about a young woman, Everly. She is a, a communications and media major in college who has uh, a, secured a job with her best friend, Scott, at his radio station. And she... Um, is very interested in helping people with their dating and love life. The problem is that she doesn't have one of her own. But what she's found is that if you ask the right questions, almost everybody comes up with the answer that they needed. They've known the answer all along. They just needed to talk it through with someone. So Everly has this chance meeting with a young man named Cam. And that's where our story really begins and how they uh, work together to find out who they are as individuals. And it's an exciting story. It's comical. So I do have to say, I don't know if you laughed at the places that I did, but um, most of those experiences, although I am not Everly in this story, most of the experiences that happened to Everly have happened to me, including the tree in the face. Uh, that is, is a pretty common thing that happens. Um, 
So it, it's kind of fun to go through this story and see that Everly has a sense of humor. One thing about Everly that I like is that even though she has a disability, it doesn't stop her from enjoying life. And she also yeah. works to make things easier for other people who may be startled by her disability because they're like, oh, you're blind, therefore I should feel a certain way. But Cam, even though he's aware of it, it doesn't hinder his appreciation of her as a person. And one thing, I did love the comical aspects of the story as well. There was a few points, especially when Max kept jumping on her. And <laughs> I love his instant bond with her because uh, Max is like, really, you desert me? <laughs> he deserted him. Like the moment he met Everly, he deserted him. It wasn't even like his dog even. And uh, I love that aspect. And just lots of humorous moments in here. And then there's the seriousness of it. And I love that mm-hmm. you, it wasn't graphics, it wasn't graphic or anything like that. Here Here is this woman of God who has this disability, but she's able to trust in him, but she's got family issues. And Mm -hmm. one thing we have to say, I don't think there's a family on the planet Mm -hmm. that doesn't have family issues. It may not be a long, drawn-out soap opera thing, but just little things that just irk your nerve. (laughs) You know what I mean? The baggage that we all carry. Exactly. And I think that's what Everly deals with. But she deals with it in a unique way. We'll talk about that in a moment. I want to back up a little bit. Everly is the host of a Christian singles radio show. Now, I think this is very important. So I want to simmer on this for a moment. Recently, I've heard conversations about people who are single feeling left out in the church because they Mm. feel as if the church only focuses on couples and families, not for those who are single, and they're not trying to push themselves into a marriage just yet. They just want to live a single life dedicated to the Lord, and how a lot of the programs at churches are not geared toward happily Christian singles. So when you have this idea in your story, are you trying to say, hey, be single and hurry up and get married, or be happy in your singleness? What's going on for Everly? I agree with you. Oh, my goodness. There is nothing worse than being single and feeling the pressure to be more. You're already enough. You do not need someone else to complete you, like it says in Rocky. I mean, that is just, that is a fallacy. God is enough. And if you are, it, it may be that you are called to singleness, and that's wonderful, but it may just that God is still growing you and how can you focus your attention on our Christ Jesus if your attention and your heart is pulled in another direction and if God is still growing you spiritually singleness is the best place for you to be the radio talk show host she does a few times talk about the fact that sometimes it's important to yes you may find someone out there for you but it's not always necessary I think that's an important thing to talk about because as people become disillusioned with romantic love, they're like, I would rather be single than put myself and risk my heart and give it to someone who's going to ultimately hurt me. And I can understand that sentiment. I truly can. But I really appreciated that aspect of it and that she had been doing the show for a while. So it wasn't as if she was thinking, oh, I'm doing the show until I meet someone. She's doing the show, first of all, because she wants to bring joy into the caller's life, whoever calls in. And then she plays music after their questions. She plays a music tune for them to 
encourage them through their way, and then she acknowledges that, hey, you don't have to be this way. Of course, this is a romance novel, but I like that she's well-grounded even before we meet her. You know, I think that's an important part of this book, too. So my romance novelists out there, I agree. I love the idea of meeting your other half. I love the idea. But as someone told me, you're not meeting your other half. You're meeting another whole person. And then oh, together you that. braid it together. Uh, and I like that illustration. Do I still like the romantic tones of your other half? Yes, I do. So I don't see myself stopping to use that. But I like the idea of we, we are now feel more complete, if you will. But like you said, God is all we need. We're completely complete in him. Look at me. We're completely complete in him. We're fully completed <laughs> in him. And I like that that whole thing. But I just want to mention that because I know some of our listeners may be single and they have that pressure to hurry up and get married, hurry up and have kids, hurry up and not be by yourself. Uh, there was a funny thing I saw recently on a friend's timeline and a woman was looking for an apartment so she can move into. She said, why am I being penalized for wanting to live alone? Because everything was so expensive. And I said, that's a good a good way of looking at it. So yeah. I'm glad you put that aspect in here. Now, one thing as we go into our story, Everly has problems with her family, or rather one person in particular. Tell us about that thorn in Everly's side. Yes, Everly uh, truly has, and part of the reason she doesn't have a relationship with someone else is because she's never been able to cement the relationship with her mom. I had a marvelous relationship with my mother. Um, she was truly one of my best, dearest friends. And so I can't even imagine what Everly has gone through. So this was one of those parts of the book where I really did have to pull on the interactions of other people that I've known and some of the heartaches that they have gone through. And so uh, Everly has to come to grips with the fact that her mom does love her. It's just how she shows it that doesn't make sense. Um, and I don't want to give away too much of the story because it is kind of a little bit of a spoiler to say more. Um, but, but coming to grips with it, the, the majority of this book deals with learning to love you for who you are so that others can love who you are as well. And she needs to come to that same position with her mom. I think that's important to talk about how parents are so influential in developing a child's life. Even the science and the various case studies show just how important it is because the habits that children learn from their parents can become generational. Yeah. I did this because my father did this, because my father did this, because right. my father did this. There's an aspect in the story, and it's not a spoiler, it's with Cam, and he talks about how his grandfather was a craftsman, and then his father became a craftsman. But interestingly enough, Cam didn't really want to fall into the footsteps per se. It was in a tangent line. And next thing you know, this company that his grandfather and father had built up, he sold it. <laughs> and I thought about that because not every legacy is meant for you. But yeah. what they kept together <laughs> yeah. was the generational love and appreciation for building and constructing things. 
that was generational. Businesses and companies aren't, but yes. what you pour into a family can be. So I really like that aspect of it, too. Mm-hmm. There's a lot to delve into this uh, short little story, Dial E for Endurment, which is available today on Amazon.com. Make sure you go ahead and pick up your copy today. Let's dig into Cam here, because Cam's an interesting character. He's kind of awkward. He's somewhat of a loner, <laughs> but he has great intentions, but poor execution. So let's talk about him for That is minute. well stated. <laughs> Cam is just your everyday boy. Um, there is no special um, visual thing about Cam that just uh, so many on a, uh, times you'll read a book and it's like he had startling blue eyes and a wave that lock that draped over his left eye and he you know he, you get all these characteristics in your mind of this really hunky guy that's not who Cam is and my my cover is very much like that Cam is an everyday guy he is simple he is sincere and he desires to follow Christ. Um, and, and I think that that is what I like most about him is there are men out there who truly do want to be Christ followers themselves. They live it, they walk it, they take it to work with them, um, and they are, they are truly the hunks. We marry men that we love, and when we marry men that we love, it doesn't matter what they look like. They can look like the Crypt Keeper, but in our eyes, they're the most handsome person we've ever seen. That's exactly right. I remember a story of a man who had severe warts on his face back in the day. He was really disfigured that people would scream when they saw him, and he met a woman who fell in love with him and who loved him because he was highly intelligent. And that's the story doesn't sad though, but but that is the type of women can be that way. Like you may look at yeah. like the crib keeper, but I love you for who you are. Not saying men can't be that way either. I'm not saying that, but um, but when you love someone, they look beautiful to you. And it's actually interesting because sometimes people who are quite beautiful aesthetically, they can have a horrible heart or a yes. nasty interior. And the more you look at them, they actually look quite ugly. And they look plastic almost. It's almost as if the mask sloughs off and you see just the ugly person inside. And those always make pretty good stories, too. You have this devilishly handsome man who turns into a monster. And then you have <laughs> the guy with the hump on his back who's just the most beautiful man in the world. You know? right. But, yeah, those are, ele- those are just elements of romance. So I'm, I'm slightly getting off track. But those are elements of romance, I think, that people can explore more. So now we have the situation where we have Cam and we have Everly. But then one thing I love about romance is sometimes the up, down, twist, turn that comes along. And something like that happens. We won't go into detail, but it lets us know that even though Everly is aware of her surroundings, she knows how to get to where she's going. She probably gets better directions than I do with a GPS. She can get around, but she doesn't quite understand when people have an interest in her or something like that. And so I won't give away the spoiler, but there's someone who has an interest in Everly, and she's shocked. She's like, oh, I had no idea. (laughs) And I actually like that part because it brings to mind that you can be the world to someone. You are their world. And I'm not talking, you know, 
scary obsessor stalker person. I'm not talking like that. Right. But you are someone's right. world, and someone thinks the world of you. They go to sleep at night, and we already know that Christ thinks of us all the time. We are constantly in his thoughts. But to have that and have that mirrored in the human heart, I think that's just enduring, enduring too. Heidi, I know our listeners are just dying to get just a taste of this book. So go ahead and read an excerpt for us. You can go ahead and set up what's happening before you start the excerpt. I'm going to go ahead and mute myself. And go ahead, take it away. We're in Chapter 5, and just before this, Everly has um, met a young man, and she has he's a disaster, and she has got to get where she needs to go, and he offers her a ride. And surprisingly she accepts. And that's where we are in the story. So this is Everly speaking. I'm crazy. I've lost my mind. Not only am I in the car with a stranger, but I've also just given him my home address. Any place else would have been wiser. My mind is a jumbled mess, warring between what ifs and no worries. And I pretend to send the picture that I've just taken of Cam, having no idea if he's watching. My hands are shaking nearly as hard as my stomach is quivering. The what-ifs are winning. Warm air blows over my ear and I freeze. This guy take advantage of me in a public parking lot? Hadn't he mentioned that there were only two cars around and a scream builds and it's ready to burst forth? Max, lay down. A low growl reverberates in my ear and I realize Max isn't moving, even at Camp's command. Max, Camp drags out the word and I feel count to three like a toddler mom. He's not bothering me. My shaky hand reaches up, raising Max under the chin. Droll runs down my wrist. He makes a good chaperone. Do we need one? Cam's voice is neither teasing nor flirtatious. He is entirely clueless, which makes me smile. My heart race, my racing heart slows. The woman's voice on the overly loud wave app's voice startles me. Max growls and I feel his muscles tense. It's okay, boy, I murmur. Sorry about that. I forgot to turn down my volume. Cam is busy fumbling with his phone, so I take two deep breaths to help calm my nerves. Max rubs his soft ear against my cheek. Here we go into the wild blue yonder. Cam singing those words relieves the last of my tension, and I laugh louder than Wade's girl, who is yelling at us to head south on service road towards State Route 152. Let me guess. You are not former military. It's more of a statement than a question. What? Oh, sorry. My grandfather served. He used to sing that all the time. I recognize the sentimental tone and immediately rein in my former thoughts. It would be easy to rib him, but it doesn't feel right. Is he still living? Oh, no. He, he passed a few years ago. I inherited his house outside of town. Do you like living so close to downtown? Conversation flows easily. We chat, skirting personal subjects. Thankfully, he hasn't asked me what I do for a living. Ways Girls announces where we've arrived at our destination, and I'm not particularly pleased with her. Cute house. 1930s? Yes. How did you know? I'm surprised. Oh, low-pitched gable roof, wide overhanging eaves, ample front porch. His voice trails off, a tinge of embarrassment in his tone. How does that place it in that time frame? My question is genuine, but he seems taken back by the fact that I'm actually interested, which I am. Well, he pauses, you really want to know? Now I'm sure he knows the answer. He just isn't sure if I generally want to hear it. Of course. 
I turn in my seat to face him to emphasize my point, even though I can't see. And that is an excerpt from Dial E for Endurement, available exclusively on Amazon.com. What I loved about that scene is the fact that they're starting to show interest in each other, and it's genuine interest. And the fact that someone would know about your house, some of us may go, oh, wow, that's really exciting. <laughs> you know, that you know about my house. <laughs> but in instance, the fact that she's interested in what he has to say, it lets us know that there are depths to people that we can probe as if we just take the time out to do that. And Everly actually is in a unique position because she can't see what he looks like. So everything that she gathers from him has to be on more than just a visual aspect. Everly has that ability to really delve into a person's uh, mindset, and they have to be interesting. Can I listen to you? I mean, if you're, if you got to be blind, you know, can I listen yeah. to you? Uh, are you going to bore me to tears where you're like, oh my gosh, I uh, wish I was deaf too now, you know, <laughs> that type of thing. You don't want to be that way. And I can joke about that for those of you talking smack. I can joke about that. I have deafness yeah. in my family, so calm down, okay? And they do joke. <laughs> but no, but it's, um, it's that type of thing that gives you even more insight into the character. And so I actually enjoy that scene just personally because I used to work in mortgages and appraisals, and we looked at houses all the time. So some of the things you were mm-hmm. mentioning, I said, yeah, I remember that from my uh, experience in the in the work field. So, yes, yeah, I loved it. And I hope you love that excerpt that Heidi read, so make sure you go ahead and pick up your copy of Dial E for Endurement today. You know, Heidi, we are getting close to the end of our show. But before I do that, there are some things I know that our listeners want to know. Are you working on any new projects? That's a great question. Well, I have been asked uh, to write uh, a little bit of a follow-up on this story. Um, And I'm not going to give that away because uh, when you get to the end, you will know exactly whose story I'm talking about. Um, And I am working on book three in my Discerning God's Best Historical Series. I'm very excited about that. And then I have, I am an independently published author. And then I have a women's fiction that I am working on uh, that I hope in the next two to three years to publish traditionally. Now, from your other books, particularly your historical ones, what has been the reader's response to them? It has surprised me. Uh, I did not expect the response that I've had. Um, still at, I think, 4.7 or 4.8 on Amazon out of five. Uh, which is just amazing to me. The thing that I appreciate the most about the responses is that individuals who have read my stories are writing me and saying, they're not just leaving a review, they're actually emailing me, they're becoming a part of my newsletter, connecting with me and letting me know that I changed something in their heart. And that was my entire purpose for starting in the beginning was to share Christ with others on a platform that was non-confrontational, that they could witness um, someone's growth in Christ through a story. So being able to hear a reader say to me, I hadn't even considered that time was something that was very important or helpful in helping me walk through my depression, Um, but giving that to God and allowing it to be on his time frame really has made a difference for me. And there's nothing like it when you do that. There is no greater feeling than when you do that. Heidi, if people want to connect with you, where can they find you online? It's always easy to go to Amazon and just 
uh, type in Heidi Gray McGill and you'll find me there. I'm very active on Facebook at Heidi Gray McGill and then also on Instagram at Choosing Joy Novels. And that's probably the three most, uh, the easiest ways to connect with me. Um, on Amazon, you will find a link for my newsletter. And that is probably the place where you are going to get to know me the best. I do share my personal testimony. Um, I have exclusive pictures uh, that I don't share on uh, Facebook. You're always the first to know what's coming up. I share background information. So uh, the fun part about uh, newsletters is I only, it's a month, but if you will email me, I always respond to you. We can chat on Facebook, but I would like to get to know you. And so that is the best way to do that is to find me through my newsletter. Heidi, this show is always about encouraging the authors who want to write, whom God has given the gift to write, to do so. So in the few moments we have left, go ahead and encourage our authors out there today. Parker, first of all, I want to thank you because you have encouraged me. And one of the things that I need to do as an author is I need to share my story. It doesn't matter how that happens, but to be able to say out loud for others to hear, I love Jesus Christ is so important to me. So for an author, figure out why you are doing something. You'll get lots of advice on how to write. Uh, the fact that you just need to put words on paper, whether it comes to anything or not, just keep writing. But I want to approach this a little differently. If you know why you are writing, it takes a tremendous amount of stress off of you. If you write your book because you are doing it to glorify God or to put a cause, uh, whatever it might be, when your sales don't match your expectations, it doesn't matter because that wasn't your purpose for writing the book. If no one purchases that book, you did what you know God called you to do. And it makes that roller coaster ride that we all go through so much smoother. And it becomes more of a challenge to say, why am I writing this book rather than what book can I write to make the most money or to reach the most readers? And so your books become purposeful. And I do believe that when you have a book that has purpose in it, other people connect. And that is what makes a book sellable. Heidi, thank you so much for taking time to be with me today. Really enjoyed having you on the show. And I cannot wait to have you back and have you back real soon. Thank you. And we were talking today to Heidi Gray McGill. She is the author of the hot off the press release, Dial E for Endurement. It's available exclusively on Amazon.com. I thoroughly enjoyed our conversation today, particularly her story about being blind and the things that it has taught her. And she used her own experience and put it in a wonderful romantic comedy tale that I know you are going to enjoy. So what I want you to do is love on my sister today and buy Dial E for Endurement. One thing that she said that I really want to reiterate is that if you are writing for the Lord, it doesn't matter who picks it up, who's going to read it, who's going to buy it, as long as you did what the Lord told you. So why don't you go ahead, pick up the pen, and write stuff.
Thank you so much for joining me for this edition of The Right Stuff. I'm the Queen Parker J, and you have a wonderful, absolutely glorious, blessed day. <laughs>